So two months ago, I started exploring an idea that I started working on in 2017, right? Now, this idea was to create a, six, a system around an alternative logic to how Africa can reach its potential, right? Because one of the key topics right now going around the world is that Africa is a youth-populated continent, right? It has most of its population at the young, right? And secondly, it is one of the most prosperous times to be alive in the world right now. Forget all the bad news you hear and all of that. Imagine you were born, or sorry, you were born in um, the 18th century or the 16th century or the 15th century, right? This is actually one of the most prosperous times to be alive right now, right? But then there's an economic situation defining Africa right now, defining, let's, let me bring it home, defining Nigeria right now that says that we are the poverty capital of the world. And it is very funny to me, right? Being that we are one of the, we, 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 are, we are, I think the third, I think the first or the third largest economy in Africa, right? And yet we are being deemed as the poverty capital of the world, right? So two months ago, right, I started to explore this idea I had in 2017 about how can we create, that's the question I just wanted to answer. How can we create a system that is both inclusive and sustainable to leading the future of Africa? Okay, Manuel says we're the largest economy. All right. I like that. Thank you for helping me to clarify, right? So we're the largest economy in Africa. The reason why um, I didn't want to state that outright is because, understand, the numbers are changing, right? Um, Ghana is really is growing really fast. The reason why we are defined as the largest economy is based on population right? Um, but that is not even the conversation of today. We're going to dive into all of that conversation um, in other series, right? But let me stay on course. So um, today we're going to be discussing majorly about narratives, right? Why are we called the poverty capital of the world, right? Why is it that, why is one short black boy, right? Why am I, Batel, coming out at this time to engage young people across Nigeria in this conversation, right? Why are we doing this today? Why do we have the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa? Why do we have the Venture Matrix Leaders Program, right? And the one thing, as I said, is to change the narrative about um, Africa's future. That is one simple and straightforward and relatable reason why we are doing this right now. So, Today's onboarding session will be talking about my publication called The Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa Series 1 and how it relates to you as a leader in the undergraduate community and as a young person in Africa who is having to live under this reality of Africa as the poverty capital of the world, right? That is what we'll be discussing today. Now, series one is basically about the power of narratives, right? It's about the power of narratives. And this is because narratives define the realities that you can see around the world. If I, you know, there's a narrative about young people right now, that young people are unemployable, that young people are, um, I don't even believe those narratives, so I don't even hold them to heart, that young people are, um, they are not prepared for the future. 
that young people are not really ready to live, that young people are lazy and all of that. These kind of things, right, define the reality. This is why most times you find that young people are not taken seriously in the matter of affairs of the world or of, of, of Nigeria or, or Africa as we can see it, right, in forefront, right? So I'm going to try and just keep this conversation to about Nigeria, right? And this is because there is an existing narrative about young people in Nigeria and Africa. And one thing that narrative really um, brings to forefront is the underlying systems that sustain this narrative, right? So it is still a narrative that you have to go to university, obtain a BSc degree, uh, or sorry, it was once a narrative that you need to um, go to university, obtain a, a degree, get a first class to get a good job so that that job can give you access to the kind of life you want. But now there's a change in narrative, right? Because systems are changing, right? People are no more asking for your CV, right? That is a change in narrative. Before it was have a good CV, have a good grade, and then you can get a good job, have a good life, right? But the narrative is changing. Now the narrative is have the skills that you need. So you have the skills that are valuable to us, right? And then have um, competence to, to, to match the skill gaps that are making our organization fail. I hope you understand. Please, if you don't understand, you can make me know in the chat section. Now, the reason why we need to attack narratives first is because it is the foundation upon which you can define opportunity, right? The reason why you can do what you can do and the reason why you can't do what you can't do is because of an existing narrative about what you are trying to do. Let me give you an example. It's just like when you say, um, one time ago, people believe people didn't believe that you cannot you cannot reach somebody else three kilometers, um, you know, in a, in another world apart from from yourself. You know that people have to be in close proximity. So, living under that, you never believed that anything like a phone could exist. In fact, let me bring a more relatable story. There's one time in the world where the world was believed to be flat. So, rocket science, science as a whole was defined under that narrative that the world is flat, so these are the only things we can do because the world is flat. We can't invent rocket ships because the world is flat, because if you reach the end of the world, you can fall off. That is the power of narratives. So, the reason why young people are in the state that they are today is because there's a narrative about them that they need to break out from. And these narratives are supported and sustained by systems, as I've said before, but they are more sustained by the stories that are around that narrative. So there's the power of narrative and there's the power of storytelling, right? Until someone comes to tell you a different story, you would only continue to believe what you currently, to be, to, uh, what you currently believe. And that is the power of storytelling. Do you understand? If you go to a village, right, of only women, and you tell them that it's possible for you to, um, how do I, how, what, what example can I use now? Okay, let me use Chinu Achebe's story about um, the hunter and the lion. He, says, he, said, he said in an interview, he said, if, if the lion doesn't have historians to tell their stories, right, the story will always favor the hunter. That is what is happening in the world today. We do not have young people in the undergraduate community telling the stories 
that are happening in the undergraduate community to redefine the narrative of the undergraduate community. And that's one thing we need to do in this time and moment if we want to participate in the future of Africa, of Nigeria, right? So this is why series one is just storytelling, right? It's just storytelling, trying to introduce you to who I am, right? That there is actually a story that you've not heard of, right? That can represent your potential to change your world. The reason why you are where you are is because you have not been sharing your story. It is as simple as that. Your story reflects your uniqueness. It reflects your identity. That is why as leaders in undergraduate community right now, we must not joke with storytelling. Do you know why this is very important? It is because the story that you're not telling, somebody else is telling it for you. Somebody that doesn't know about your life is out there using statistics, using news and media to define who you are. That is why the reality and your dreams seems like they don't matter today because systems have not been created to support those dreams because you're not telling your story, right? That is what we need to do differently if we are going to participate in changing the world, right? And this is why, for me, I didn't just, you know, just a just few months ago, I was, I was part of the co-founding team for Student Build Africa. We're doing, and we're doing a great job there, right? But then I just noticed that this problem needed to be solved. Do you understand? The story about Africa's young people is on unemployability. Um, um, they don't have skills. But nobody's talking about the creative capacity of young people, right? Of course, you might argue that, oh, we have the young people like um, Inyaboyeji who is creating um, awesome, who has been creating amazing projects like the Andellas, um, the Flutter Waves and all of that. But that is not, that is just, you know, it, it, that's just a sector of the young, young people, right? That sector of, of young people do not even make up up to 40% of the general population of young people, mm -hmm. right? The people who make up that 60% are you people, you people in the university, you people who are not creating, you people who are not doing anything to tell your story or to enact change in your environment. And that is what the virtual metrics of the, of, of the Future of Africa Series 1 is targeted to doing. It's meant to excite you, expose you, and engage you with the realities you need, the tools you need, Yes, the danger of a single story. There's just one single story about people coming from the university, and I think it's totally wrong. So series one of, of, the, of the Venture Major for the Future of Africa just wants to quickly address that. And I feel like my story is one of the most radical stories that you can come across. Not because I feel special, or not because I feel the story is very interesting. No, no, no. I just feel it's because it can represent a large spectrum of what you deal with. I was not the normal student. I didn't care about first class and I wasn't scared to not, be, to, not, to, to not have a first class. Do you understand? I didn't really, in my first year, I just lost, see, I'm the kind of person where I'm very practical, right? If I see A is not equaling B, I drop it. I don't waste my time, right? Once you say A should be B and I put A, A is not equal to B. I tell you guys, this is not working for me. I'm done. I'm looking for another alternative do you understand right so that is the power of storytelling and you know that's the first thing i need to achieve the power of storytelling and the power of narratives right so the second thing we need to address right is a problem of collective responsibility and this is what i mean 
before today, before this project, the Venture Matrix for the Future of Africa, never, okay, let me not say never because I don't like finite statements. We have not had the opportunity for young people to gather around a single cause. The closest that has come to that is not too young to run bail, which is very instrumental to what we're having today where we have young people in the political office, in political offices and capacity. That is the power of storytelling. That's the power of collective responsibility. We've not for once gathered together to say, how can, how can myself as a student of FUTA, as a student of OEU, as a student of, of UNIJOS, right, connect with other students across Nigeria to focus on one single solution that, that, you know, that addresses our collective interest. Do you understand? And if you look deeper, right, this is the same problem we're having in Nigeria. Nigeria is united, but is not united by collective responsibility. Now, somebody might argue, why am I saying Nigeria is collected? Why am I saying Nigeria is, is in unity where the news is saying different? This is why. We have, yeah, the, the, the thing is, we are united. We might not be united by, you know, a good cause, but we're united by a bad cause, which is that everybody is suffering under this economic environment. That is what I mean by we are united. We might not be united in ideals, we might not be united in ideologies, we might not be united, rather, in, 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 in similar interests. But one thing that we're united about is that we are suffering under the same realities of our economic and socioeconomic environment. Let me give you an example. When they say that inflation has gone up by two digits, it will not respect that you're an Hausa boy, a Yoruba boy, or an Igbo girl. It will not respect that. You will still go to the market and buy the same amount of tomatoes you have to buy for 15 naira, at 100 naira, at 150 naira. You will still suffer the same hunger. You will still suffer the same neglect. You will still suffer the same inability to access the dreams that you have for yourself. That is how we are united. We are united by problems. So even if we cannot come together, right, to serve a national interest, we can come together to serve a national problem, which is that the current system of economic inclusion is broken. Young people like you and I do not have an enabling environment to pursue our interests. And that is one problem that we need to solve. But before we solve that problem together, we need a sense of what collective responsibility. I don't believe in visions anymore, right? Because I feel visions is a projection of self-interest. You know, you come out today and you say, I have a vision that Nigeria will become, you know, a prosperous nation in the, in, in the future. That is good, but it is what? It is a self-projected um, 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 interest. But a sense of responsibility is a sense of ownership to a cause. When you say, See, the reason why, you know, I've been, you know, I saw most of your questions in my, in my, in my email and people were asking me, so Tony, this is really interesting. Um, Batel, this is really interesting, but why are you doing what you do? Honestly, I do not have a better answer than saying I feel responsible for it. I've been nursing these ideas since 2017. I felt responsible that if I do not do this now, right, we're going to have undergraduates and undergraduate communities who are going to produce the same kind of undergraduates that we've always produced in the last decade. So we need a collective, so those are the two basic things that this first article wants to address. A collective sense 
of responsibility towards this united problem that we have and the power of storytelling and narrative. So let us use the next. So if, if you're ready, if you enjoy what you've heard so far, I want to see your comments in the chat box before we jump right into the before we jump right into um the article and then we'll just do some little engagement and then we would round up this session right i need to see your comments what do you think so far for the introduction to this session okay thank you Coladi. i can see your comment all right thank you so much awesome Okay, yes, it's really interesting. Awesome. Yes, thank you, Miracle. I, I totally agree, right? You know, because I, I am, see, I'm privileged to be a young guy. So I'm, I'm going to jump right into the storytelling, right? So the reason why I am who I am today is because of very interesting facts. Number one, all through my university, all of my best friends, all of the people I related with were people that were older than me. So I am privileged to hear both young people and old people talk about the same problems and hear different narratives. And if, like me, you've been in such positions, you'll be able to relate to what I'm saying very directly, right? So I've heard, I've heard old people say X, Y, Z about young people. And I hear young people say X, Y, Z about a certain concept. And I'm like, I don't understand. Are we not living in the same area? Why are we seeing things differently? Right, and I discovered that there's a problem called the generation gap. So the generation gap means that people within a generation are confined to a certain type of thinking methods, right? While another generation, because of their own realities, are also were defined by a different bend to how they see and perceive things. So generation gap is one of the biggest issues defining. Um, how we as young people see issues and how young old people see issues. That is why we as young people need to define our own solution based on what our own created narrative. We cannot outsource it anymore. And that is the fact. That is the truth that we need to achieve right now. So someone says, Miracle says that it really, it really resonates with the point where we are united by problems. You know, one of the biggest conversations that has happened in the last... Um, in the last one, two, three years, you know, this political period where, you know, we changed office, I think in 2018, yeah, 2018, where there was, you know, all of the political um, campaign going on, was this issue about separating Nigeria, right? I'm not here to give um, political statements. No, no, no. I'm just making political references. Just, you know, so just stay with me. Don't get riled up yet. I know people get really excited when it comes to cultural or political conversations. This is not a cultural or political conversation. This is more economic than any other thing. So that conversation about unity has been something that has been going on for a long time you know you hear about the biafia conversations you hear about the biafia converse, um, conversations you hear about the conversations from the north you hear about the conversations in niger delta you hear about the conversations um in in this side of the world um um the the, the west right and then you hear differently that even when people are preferring solutions they are preferring solutions in what in contradictions to each other. And this is because they have not found the basis of unity. It's fine. See, we are human beings. We will not always agree. Right? But it is, it is a progressive human trait when you can accommodate and tolerate other people's views that are not, um, that are not like yours. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? So, 
What that means is that, of course, we need to recognize, as I said, that we are more connected by problems than being connected by solutions. So let's forget our self-interest for one for one minute, for one for one year, for one for one for one millennium, for one decade. Let's forget our self-interest. Let us first tackle these problems that be, that is our current reality, right? And we can now pursue self-interest. You know, one of the most interesting um, counterintuitive ideas that I'm going to push this this year is that the biggest problem with entrepreneurship in Africa is that there's no enough social entrepreneurship. People are more focused on profit when there's no market. What we need to do is whatever creation, um, whatever solution we're creating has to fix a social problem or else our entrepreneurial um, um, goals would not be met. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me make it more relatable to you. So you're a student, you have a fashion business. To set up fashion business, you have to get a shop. You have to buy material. You have to buy needles and all of that. And all of that will cost you a, cap a capital of maybe, say, 150000 to, to 200000 or more, right? So when you start doing costing for your products, let's say you create a shirt, a shirt, and you say the shirt is 10,000 naira. Which market, which, which, which person right now in this mass market can afford a shirt of 10,000 naira? The problem is not the consumer. The problem is not you. The problem is that the environment doesn't support that your business can run sustainably. So we need to start creating fashion businesses that solve social problems. How can your fashion business empower another person to earn money to afford your shirt? That is how you should be thinking. That is the kind of solutions we need. Let us drop profits. We will make profits. That is fine. But you can only make profits when people can afford your products. You can only make profits when you can run business on low cost. But once you cannot create solutions that attack those two basic issues, there is no way for your business. And that is why doing business in Nigeria would be very frustrating. I hope you understand. I think I've stressed. So those two things. We need to harness, as young people, for us to create systems that are inclusive, we need to harness the power of, of storytelling to change narratives, and we need a collective sense of responsibility. So let us dive into the story, right? The Venture Matrix of the Future of Africa Series 1. I think we've used 30 minutes already. Awesome, on time. All right. Now, the first thing is, I start with saying, I don't think my story is special, but I think it has a special plot that gets interesting by paying attention to the deteragonist, who is mostly neglected and marginalized in the chain of major events. In, in the chain of major events. However, in this story, unlike the, uh, unlike the protagonist, sorry, unlike the protagonist, which is myself, she is the jewel of the price crown, like David in the Bible, because it's not really actually about me. Please don't get carried away. Now, what this place simply means is that I am the one writing the story and publishing this, but it is really not about me. The reason why I wrote this is for anybody to also be able to replicate. One issue we have had with why opportunities are not being um, decentralized. Okay, that's a big grammar. Why is it that there's no plenty of opportunity in your university, right? It's because your university environment doesn't support it. It is not conducive. It doesn't favor anybody. Do you understand? So what I am introducing in this first paragraph is saying 
this story is not about me. Forget about Battelle. I am the one leading this cause. That is fine. But it's not about me. It's about you, who is part of the undergraduate community. There is something called the undergraduate community that we are not taking advantage of, which is a community of young people under an environment that is, um, that is um, supposed to be self-sustaining and holds the potential to activating this economic growth that we also desire. That is just all I'm saying in the first um, paragraph. I understand. If you know the story of David, right? Um, you know, he was a king, right? So I'm saying that the undergraduate community is where all the opportunity lies and not just in me leading this cause, which is Battelle. Okay, someone's asking, yes. Okay, so yes, um, from today, you can share the link with any of your friends. Yes, you can share the link with your friends. Anybody can join in, actually. But it's just that for you people in the program, it is paramount that you guys are here joining in on the conversation because we are doing this together. So the next paragraph is an introduction to myself. So the first paragraph um, wants to clarify something, which is what? Self-awareness and what? Identity. Embracing your identity. I saw questions in my, in my, in my email saying, how was I able to still do... Yes, you can share the link to the program, to this, to this live event. You can share the, the Zoom link or the Google Meet link to your friends. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you, Timothy. I see your comments. Yes, we're doing this together. Yes, we got a day. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, as I said, right, I saw questions in my... In my, in my I saw a, a lot of questions came in like, ah, how was I able to still do all the things I was able to do even though I had an extra year, even though I didn't have good grades, even though... I wasn't the best of the best students acad academically. And I'm going to show you how. There is a power that everybody has. See, you must remember that you are within an environment. You cannot conform to an environment that doesn't support your identity as a person. It is, it is one thing that defines the world that we're living. It's one thing that defines why America is, is America. Right? Please do not take my words out of context. Just stick to the reference of this of this talk all right sorry about that i don't know please um if you're on google meet please don't just stay on mute don't share your screen someone was sharing screen right now and that is not welcome yes so as i was saying right one thing we must be aware of is that our identity is a super powerful tool you are who you are because you are who you are and nobody can take that from you. That is a power of change that you can wield. See, when I was in the university, see, in fact, most of the times that I got engagement, right, I was never for once asked for a CV. For, <laughs> I never had a CV I, at all. It was because I understood the power of my identity. I knew who I was. I am Battelle, and I know what value I can contribute to your organization. It is we do it, or let me, be, let, me, let me find my way. You have to grow confidence in who you are. That doesn't mean you should be mediocre, because trust me, even at the times I didn't have a CV, even right now, I will floor you in a conversation. I will floor you in an engagement over solving a problem. Let us go head to head. I'm ready for you. Do you understand? So it is... Become, but don't allow any narrative define you. You are not a statistic. You are not, you are not, you are not some narrative that doesn't include your identity, right? So that is how I survived through that time. I had extra year, yes. 
but I was still building companies. I was still getting involved in conversations about how to solve problems because I knew I was a problem solver and I had the skills to solve problems. Do you understand? So embrace your individuality, be more self-aware. So let's go into the article. So I say, I'm a 2018 graduate, psychology graduate of Abafemi Awolon University, but not the typical or even a typical type of student. What I meant there is that once you're in the university, right, you're ever defined by what? Your academics, your grade, what course did you study? Um, you know, that's the narrative. Nobody asks you, oh, what are the things you are interested in? No, 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 no. Once they hear you're a student, they'll start asking you, oh, what course do you do? <laughs> you know, like I said, your course <laughs> defines anything in the world right now. What course do you do? What level are you? You know, what's your grade? Are you on a first class? That is all you hear, right? Not, oh, what kind of problems are you interested in solving? Oh, what are the things that excite you? Oh, what are the things that make you happy? What are the things that make you excited about the future? What makes you happy as a young person, as an African young, you know, as a young African? What are the things that excite you as a young African? Those are the questions that, that we need to be asking, not what course did you do? People that created the industries, you know, <laughs> defining the realities of today. Nobody's asking, nobody has, no, they didn't care about the course they studied. They, they only cared about the, the types of problems that they were excited about solving. That is the kind of narrative that should define you from today. If you're a leader on this call, forget your course, forget your grade. Please don't take out of context. I'm not saying you should not have good, I'm not saying don't have good course. I'm not saying don't have good grades. Go for your first class if that's what you need, right? But I'm saying there should be a different narrative to you in today's world. Today's world is no more about CV or grade or course. So, the narrative about you should be, what problems are you passionate about solving? What problems are you passionate about creating solutions for? What are the things that explore? What are the things that you want to explore that you think will totally radicalize the economic situation of Nigeria? That is the narrative that should define you. So the next, thing, next time you want to introduce yourself, you say, my name is Priscilla, right? You can say I'm a student of a family at Wonawa University studying biochemistry, but I'm very passionate about solving the fashion industry's issues that most affect, you know, people in the villages. People in the villages don't have clothes to wear. I want to solve that problem through my fashion business. That is the narrative that we need today. Right? Let me move on. So as I said, I was, it, I was, I was that type of student. I didn't, the reality me I wanted, it didn't fit this reality. Going to class, you know, you go, you know, in OAU, we have, we have something called the amphitheater. Amphitheater can take more than 1,000 students. Imagine 1,000 students in a hall, right? And then there is, the microphone doesn't reach. I don't, I don't even understand. I, I, it didn't make sense to me. Why can't we take these courses online? It, I don't know. It, it just didn't sit well with me that some things were the way it was. But I understood. It was the narrative. You know, it's a, total, it's a totally neglected system, right? So, let me just move on. So, I was that kind of student. It is situated with me that things could be practically done, but things were not done because of some other person's political interest or because it didn't fit somebody else, else's agenda. It didn't, it didn't sit well with me. You know, it just didn't make sense to me, right? So, I was that kind of student. I didn't, it, didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Why should I go to a class for 7 a.m.? To attend a lecture that I cannot practically see how I can use it in my daily life. It didn't make sense to me when I can stay in my house at that same 7 a.m. 
thinking of solution when I can sit down in my house at 7 a.m. reading a book that will give me more ideas. So I don't know. I was just that type of student. Like, okay, I'm sorry, man. This doesn't fit my narrative, right? So I was a type without a category. You could not categorize me when I was in school. And, you know, um, I was, yeah, so as I said, I was a breed birthed from chaos and disruption, dating back to as recent as my pre-undergraduate days when I performed averagely, averagely on my secondary school final exams, but excelled at external assess, assessments and activities. And even once earned recognition as the youngest perf best performing candidate of a national, of a nationwide scholarship with NIIT. So the, the, the thing with that is, I didn't understand myself, honestly. I didn't understand myself. In academics, I wasn't getting the A's or the B's. I was getting C's. I was getting, and I feel like, I, I don't understand. I'm smart now. I, be, I don't understand. Would you listen to me so far and think I'm a dumb? So it didn't make sense to me. Why wasn't I getting good grades? Why? I understand. Maybe I wasn't just invested in it, or it just didn't look like something that, you know, piqued my interest. But I was noticing that in external competitions, I was doing very well. In the practical stuff, I was doing very well. So it didn't... I don't know. It was just baffling me, and I just gave up on this system. Like, Omo, CV, all this CV first class, no go work for me, man. Make I find my own way, right? So I was that kind of student. So I was excelling well in external things. Yeah, NIT, um, you know, I remember that day very well. I was taken to Tafawa Balewa um, um, Stadium in Lagos, and I saw a lot of young people. That whole stadium was full. And we're taking NIT aptitude test, right? And I performed very well. In fact, I was, very, I was the youngest best performing student in that cohort, right? But then, when you look at my grades, you'll be like, ah, where thing they happen? This thing no align. Who be this guy? You be sharp guy, but you know they shoot for your book. So I was that kind of student, right? But I embraced it. I didn't care. I didn't care if anybody thought about anything, right? But the thing is, I took action. So when I was doing all of that, uh, before my university, I, 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 I went to um, a local repair, repair shop, right, to learn. <laughs> Somebody said this thing, no balance. I swear, no balance at all. So I went to a local repair shop to learn how to fix phones, right, because I wanted to do computer engineering because I just felt like I saw the future. I knew, ah, the future was going to be technology-based. Oh, computer, computer, computer. And I was very supported. I was supported. That idea was supported by my parents. You know, my parents felt you need to do something that, you know, can be useful in the future. Something that you can easily get job. So, what about a computer now? Should be be smart guy. So I said yes. Ah, I will do. I will do that. Let me let me do that. Right. So yes, I used to visit a local repair shop, learn learn how to fix phones. I can't. But that that whole part didn't um, <laughs> didn't fit well. I didn't have any iron in my bone. I couldn't do any of those things. Right. So it, back into the article. Fast forward to my admission into Obafemi Awolo University as a student of computer science and engineering, and and, and engineering. I chose this as a response to three desires I thought would secure my position in the global conversation about exploring opportunities. This where um, a degree in computer science and engineering means I'll be able to work in a dynamic and fast changing industry. Please, can anybody still hear me? Can anyone hear me? If, if you can still hear me, okay. Okay, thank you so much for the feedback. Okay, thank you. I hope you're following, <laughs> I hope you're not bored yet. So, um, Yes, so the three things that were defining, you know, my reality or the reality I wanted was of my choice to do computer science and engineering was that it means that I'll be able to work, you know, science and engineering, I can work anywhere in a, at any time. That's just simply what I was trying to say there. 
you know, and, and exposure to acquiring that degree means that I could work anywhere and anywhere in the world. You understand? Once you have computer science, that's what I was thinking, right? Once you have a computer science degree, once you understand that, you know, you can work anywhere, banking, healthcare, once you shall be computer, that's why. So I, I, I always like to think about security, right? About how do I always make choices that are secure and give me the most advantage or give me the most options, right? That's why I chose computer science and engineering and I worked hard to get that. But then, you know, jam, jam me. So the funny thing again is, you know, I didn't pass, okay, I passed jam, but I didn't pass post UTME, but I passed, um, I passed, I, I passed, I passed, I remember passing um, an exam that gave me scholarship to the University of Toronto, Canada. Yes. So it was just funny, right? I jammed, um, jammed in jam, did jam, did jam jam me? I know I did pre-degree. I'm trying to remember if jam jam me now. No, it was supposed, yeah, I did, I did good in jam. I think I retook jam. I'm, I'm sorry, I think my, my memory is hazy right now, Shab, but I think, I think, I don't, I can't remember that whole part. My, my memory is fuzzy, but yeah, you know, I didn't enter straight up. I did pre-degree and all of that, right? So all of those reasons, although that were expressing, yeah, old age, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Going back into the article, right? I still lost interest in the version of education I encountered in my 100 level as a computer science and engineering student. And that my disruptive chaos by design character switched to the psychology department by the beginning of my 200 level at the university. So, so some, somebody was asking me, oh, why did I switch courses? Um, first of all is, as I said, I, when I, when I started um, as a student in computer science and engineering, it just didn't fit what I had in mind. So I just thought, oh, what else? You know, people, so people always change courses because they are looking for courses that are simpler in their own mind or courses that amplify, courses that will give them time to do what they want to do. No, no, no. I, I changed because I felt that psychology was like the, it was the, like the computer science of human beings because what psychology does is that it tries to modify behavior. It tries to understand, it tries to analyze, and it tries to modify behavior, right? Just like the same way you do with a program, exactly. So mm-hmm. psychology was the closest to computer science and engineering in my mind. So I just felt ah, at least though, if I cannot operate computer, at least I can operate human being. <laughs> forgive me that might sound funny but that please don't take that out of context right i just meant like you know as i said psychology is like the computer science and engineering version for human beings so i decided to switch to psychology right so as i said i soon lost interest yeah and i switched psychology by my 200 level university this this disinterest became a realization when the three desires for which i was excited about that really about that reality were beginning to look like a dream that would stay a dream throughout my journey at the university when I became aware that. So I'm going to tell you three things that I became aware of. Number one, there is a lot of change happening outside the university, but not just that a lot of change was happening. It was that there was a change in the nature of change. Let me simplify that. Before, the kind of change that was happening was that employers were looking for graduates that were competent, not just graduates that had first class. But then there was now a new change in that change where the companies themselves were changing. So the things that they needed from students were changing, right? Yes, can anybody still hear me? 
Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for the feedback. Okay. So another thing that just happened was that the change of that change was changing. That the nature of change was totally different, right? And it was this breed of technology. But people think it's technology that is changing the world. No, it's not technology that is changing the world. What is changing the world is business models. Disruptive business models is what is changing the world, not technology itself. You know, I had this argument with a friend some months ago, and I told him that the future of the world is not in technology. The future of the world is in the business of technology. And, and you know, it seemed like a very strong argument because he's a technologist, he's a coder, he, you know, he's a programmer, he works with, with all of that. But recently, he came to me telling me, say, he, tell, he told me, guy, Omo, I know they code, I know they code again, you know, Omo, I be, I be businessman now, you know, I be, you know, I work with coders, but I don't code, you know. I also remember, I also remember talking to a friend who, who, who also owns one of the biggest um, fintech companies right now in, 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 in Nigeria and Africa. And I hit, I hit him up and say, ah, guy, how far? Sure, you still decode. He said, I know, say, I'm on our board meetings now, you know. I was like, ah, but maybe you enjoy coding. He said, yes, man, but there's no, there's no, there's no code if there's no product, right? There's no code if there's no actual um, customer to pay for that product. So it's the future is not technology. It's the business of technology. So that is why even if you don't know how to code, you need to understand that whole scope. You need to understand the influence of technology on your career. You need to understand the influence of technology on your life. Do you understand? There's a, there's a concept that I would like everyone to check, to check up. It's called self-analytics. Self-analytics just means how do you use apps on your phone to regulate and understand your own human behavior? Coding is sweet. Yes, coding is... Yeah, no, no, please. Oh, guys, please. I am not... See, this is not an attack. I'm not attacking coding, please. I'm not attacking any... I'm not even attacking the student environment or any university system. If you remember what I said... In the beginning, I'm just introducing what an alternative logic. So it is not bad to be a coder. I wish I could code. I actually envy people that can code. But I'm stating an alternative logic. You can argue with it. It's totally fine. You can disagree with it. It's totally fine. It is just an alternative logic that I'm presenting. So please, you love to code. I would love to meet with you. Let's build products together and awesome, awesome stuff. But what I'm trying to tell you is if you look at market trends, if you look at economics, if you look at this the variables that are defining the future. Technology is just a participant, right? It is disruptive business models that is changing the world. Let me give you an example. Bill Gates introduced Microsoft, introduced, um, introduced Windows. Do you understand? What Windows radically did was Windows radically replaced the need for hard copy paper because on Windows, you can run application and software like Microsoft Word. So that's this, that business model of instead of buying paper, why not create a virtual environment where you can create work and, not, and only pay a one-time fee to access that, virtual re, um, actual, actual, access that virtual environment? That is a disruptive business model that changed reality for work. Now you understand. Okay, someone's asking what is a disruptive business model. So business model just simply means the way you do your business is a, is a, is a very technical business term, right? So it's just that the way people are doing business is changing. Okay, maybe let me just say it like that. 
business models, disruptive business models just means that people are coming up with ways to do business that are cheaper, faster, and more accessible. And those things are changing the world. Let me give you another practical example. So before, um, beautiful, some years ago, we cannot be doing this, right? For us to do this, we need to meet up in a conference, you know, have speakers, have all of those things, and then we can now meet. But somebody has come up with a business model where you can have your meetings and just pay a one-time monthly fee, a subscription fee, and then you can have your meetings. And then today we have Zoom. Today we have Google Meet. That is a disruptive business model. Right? So let's get back into the article. We have, wow, this is already 51. Wow, I need to rush. All right, so in the article I said, yes, um, the three things I defined um, my, 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 my change was that the change happening outside the university was mutating in nature, which was, which was reflected in size, scope, and speed of change compared to the change happening at the university. And that wasn't sustainable as a system I was to bet my future on. The educational system to opportunities was a real game theory because students don't get access to opportunities based on the performance of their input output, but rather based on the average. Okay, so I need to actually discuss this because someone raised it in the questions. So what, I, what do I mean by the educational system to opportunities was a rigged game theory? What that means is that the educational system is not based on how much effort you put. No, it's based on the performance of the average student. So if you read 30 hours, if you read your, your textbook for 30 hours, who else can hear me? Please, can you hear me? Let me see you in, in the, if you can hear me, can you say that? If you can hear me, please say, okay. Okay, so if you cannot hear me, I'm sorry. I think that's network from your end. Yeah, so as I was saying, right, it's a rigged game theory in the sense that, number one, the school system, the university system, is totally disengaged from the labor market. Labor market doesn't know what is happening in the school. And school doesn't know what is happening in the labor market. In the initial time, school was designed according to what was happening in the labor market. You understand? When Ford, when the, the, the Fords, when the Fords, when the Carnegie's were building um, their businesses, schools were tailoring courses for students to apply and become workers. But in today's world, right, what is happening in bank? What is all the changes happening in bank? They are not aware of in the university system. So they, are, they cannot teach you those things. What is happening in the university system? People in, that are CEOs don't even know. So there's no way they can get access to. So the game is already rigged, right? You just pass out of university pay school fees, and there's nothing. Please, can people hear me? Someone is saying they can't hear me. Priscilla is saying she can't hear me. Okay, okay. So, okay, I think a majority of can still hear. So, I think it's not, my, it's not from me. Okay, sorry, let me, let me, okay, sorry, let me, let me continue. So, when I, when I mean by the education system is rigged, it's based on two things. As I, number one, what is happening in the supply side, which is university? Right, it doesn't know what's happening in the demand side, which is um, corporate organizations and the rest. Right. The second thing is that, as I said, your 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 fate as a student is not defined by your input, not as you think. All those seventy hours you are spending reading one book and all of that—that that is not the difference. What defines your opportunity outside is based on the average performance of every other person. So your individual contribution doesn't actually matter. Let me, let me make it in simpler terms. If everybody in your class 
scores an A, and A begins to lose its value immediately. If everybody in your class scores a C, and you score an A, that is where you can access opportunity. Does that, does that make sense? That is why I said it's a rigged game theory. The answers are already there. They are still just putting you through the same process. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? All right. Okay, thank you so much. I'm seeing feedback. So that is what I mean, meant by it's a rigged game theory. The, 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 see, um, it, it's, it, let me, I've spent too much time on this. We only have, uh, we only have 20 more minutes, right? So the third option, the third reason is I said there was no enabling environment that gave me access to options that equipped me to explore the kind of opportunities being created by change, driven by creators, inventors, innovators, disruptors, captains of industries, and other related stakeholders in the economic value creation ecosystem locally and globally. What that just means is that, like now, if you check Google, Google, Google will tell you they don't need your certificate, right? And Google is one of the most powerful companies in the world. So if a Google can come out and tell you we don't need a certificate, what does, what does that do to your certificate as an undergraduate? It just dropped in points for value. If banks still have to put you through a graduate trainee program on top of all the hours you spent earning a certificate, what happens to your certificate? It drops again, another 10 points. By tomorrow again, banks will say, oh, okay, we don't want to, we want to, we, um, sorry, um, healthcare, um, what other big industry do we have? Construction will say, oh, we don't need your, your, your CVO, we just need people who can mix cement, who can design, we just need to be able to design um, architectural plans and all of that. What happens to your CV again? It drops. You know, there is a book called The Case Against the Educational System, right? You can read that book. Um, I wish we had more time, honestly. I would have given you more points. But if you still have engagement, you can reach me personally. I'll, 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 I'll personally engage anyone in the conversation, right? So let's quickly go on. I've, I think I've spent too much time. I'm sorry. All right. So the next paragraph says, this quickly unfolded as a conversation I kept exploring through my six years in the university community where I had two extra course years because I had deferred the first semester of the first extra year while I was exploring the conversation about this dysfunctional reality. <laughs> Somebody's saying I should take my time. No, 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 I can't take my time. We have a defined time. This is supposed to end by 5.15. So I'm sorry, guys. We have to end by 5.15. All right. So as I said, let's quickly explore the plot twist. Enough of me. Let's now talk about this undergraduate community that I'm shouting about. So as I say, now let's explore the conversation on the deterrent with the plot twist. The student community and their socioeconomic environment for creating and exploring opportunities. So that is the main conversation of this whole series, right? This whole series is about what is the student, what's the role of the student of the student community in unlocking the socioeconomic potential of Africa. Now, I go back to telling you my story again. So I said in 300 level, I had to explore the premise of my three-pronged desire for exploring opportunities while being the youngest leader. Yeah, so while, while in school, um, I, was, I was opportune I was fortunate to be the youngest, um, one of, if, not, if not the youngest, but one of the youngest leaders in church at the time. Living World Fellowship, such, a, such an amazing place to be, such an amazing place to fellowship. I had amazing leaders, leaders like Pastor Demola Scott, uh, Pastor Tayo Ashley, Pastor, um, Pastor Yemi David. Of course, Pastor Yemi David was, was a senior pastor. Um, which other? Pastor Lai, yes. 
how could I? Yes. So Pastor Lai, so those amazing leaders, um, you know, they created an environment where there was something we used to say. We used to say global relevance. And that thing just disrupted. It totally changed my perspective on who I was at that time. You know, everything you did in Living One Fellowship that time was about global relevance. You know, your leader will ask you, oh, Tony, this thing that you're thinking, this thing that you're doing, is it, is it, do you think it can apply globally? It, it started challenging. Can you see the power of narratives? Can you see the power of storytelling? Once somebody, once they don't introduce a different side of the story to you, you, are, you remain confined to a particular side of story. That is one powerful tool you need to be aware of. Please don't forget this point, right? So it was a Living One Fellowship. I started, introduced, I started getting introduced to new ideas that I can start thinking as a global citizen. That I was first a group, you know, I was telling people at that time that I am first a global citizen before I'm even a local citizen, right? Because the things happening around the world would not stop because I'm in Nigeria. No, 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 no. Like now, climate change that is affecting the whole world will not respect that I'm in one small place in Africa. No, no, no. It will affect every single person. So if the world cannot unite over a single interest, let us unite over the problems that we have and solve that one first. Do you understand? So I started thinking globally, right? So as I said, in the level, I had to explore. So when I started thinking globally as a leader in Living World Fellowship, I first started as a worker. I was in the drama unit. Will you believe? So yes, I used to act drama. I still love acting till now. I still hope in the future I'll be able to act. <laughs> but I started out being in the drama unit. Then I saw a problem. I saw that my church was a very interesting church, but we didn't have digital presence. And then, you know, I had someone, a very amazing guy, Dejifani uh, Young, is the head of the future of work now. Such an amazing and competent individual, right? He was the leader of the social media unit at that time. And I saw what he was trying to do. So I, I reached out to him saying, no, I think he reached out to me. Please, I'm sorry. Most of these, my stories might not play out, right? Because they are not the case. They are not the major points, but just get the point I'm trying to bring out, right? So he reached out to me. I reached out to him that I wanted to, you know, work with the social media unit. And, you know, he welcomed me. He, teach, he taught me a lot of stuff. And in a few months, by next semester, I was made the head of the unit, just like that. By, so, and then a great leap happened, right? Where from being the head of a unit, I became the head of the whole division in church, which is creative, um, creative evangelism and outreach division, which was what, which, which had actually, it actually had the most amount of units in a division in church. So I was a young guy leading a, a large group of people. I had, I didn't have exposure to actual positional leadership at the time. I had just been leading as a guy who just had a different story. You know, as I've shared my story before, I was just a disruptive guy who is always bringing a different side to the conversation that everybody's missing out on, right? I started a business in my 200 level. Yeah, but we'll discuss more on that in other series. Okay, this is already five. Wow, I have only 15 more minutes. Okay, so um, guys, I'm sorry. I have to rush through this and then just round up. So as I said, I picked interest in these conversations as I recognized the pattern when I indulge myself in business case competitions with my friends, Mayowa and Bolu, uh, Mayowa, Agbeleshe, Bolu Olatunji, and then Bumi Akinda Onsi. Those guys, amazing guys. I still cherish them to today. I still love them so much today. Those are the friends that I attended business case competitions with. So yes, we represented over family at one of our um, University and Nigeria's competitions, like the maiden edition of CFO Chatter Quest Business Case Challenge, where we solved, um, okay, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but let me not say the, the there's this big telecommunications company that we, we created solutions for. Um, so yes, then went to Unilever Idea Trophy, where I met amazing people like Femi Mowaye, um, 
amazing people, you know, interesting times. Um, yes, so I also went, um, yes, I also represented um, the school at um, the Google Online Marketing Challenge. And I worked with uh, Mentally Aware Nigeria Initiative to design a digital campaign, right, to help them meet their goals at the time. They wanted to, they wanted to establish their hotlines for people who had suicidal, suicidal tendencies to reach out to them through calls. So we had to design a digital campaign using Google Ads in that competition. And, you know, it was, it was an amazing, it was an amazing campaign because we hit most of our targets. So by the late of, by the late end of 300 level, I started to drive conversation that students can trans, can create transformative economies within their universities and host communities if they dared to create, design and build solutions with global approaches within their local context. I felt the responsibility of the student community to validate the intention of chaotic and disruptive dreamers like myself to take the risks and bet on themselves to ride the wave of change through their vibrant, exuberant attraction to change and dynamism compared to the rigid and tra traditional environment, making them conform to what they were already confined to in the, in the university environment, right? So the conversation was centered around how can we create an enabling environment? See, that is what this whole series is about. Hey, Harun, it's so nice to see you. It's so nice to see you. <laughs> I can see. <laughs> All right. So, um, as I said, the conversation was about how can, how can we leave all this plenty talk? How can students gather together to create enabling environments for themselves? How can we create a system that cannot be influenced by government? How can we create a system that cannot be influenced by the university authorities? How can we create something that students can instead have as an economic tool to negotiate their potential or to negotiate their position and their power in the economic conversation of Nigeria without threatening anybody or threatening anybody's interest, right? So we need to create an enabling environment for students, by students, to host an ecosystem within the university for business leaders to thrive by building and bridging the internal and external communities to create a global solution to them. So what that simply means is, a way we will do that eh, is that we need to start solving our local problems by ourselves. We cannot outsource it anymore, right? We need to solve the problems, not just because, okay, someone is saying they can't hear me. Please, can you hear me? If you can hear me, can you please give me a thumbs up or tell me? Okay, so anybody that can't hear me, I'm sorry, it's, um, oh, maybe it's network, guys. I know we're in Nigeria where, you know, most of, most of where we might be might not support good network or the network is poor. Don't worry. This will be uploaded on YouTube so you can access anytime and any place so that you can share with your friends. Also, if you, if you feel this is interesting enough for more people to hear, you can, you can also share. So don't worry. Don't worry yourself, right? You can access it later. But let's just stay within time. Yeah, so what I mean is the way we, we I see young people around, the, the, around Nigeria listening to me, nobody will give you power. Power is something you negotiate. Power is something you create. Power is just like the same concept of power in physics where it can, it can neither be created per se. Okay, it doesn't apply like that, but it can never be created or destroyed, but can transform right, from one medium to another. That's how you must think of power. Power already exists. There, power already, yeah, energy, thank you, energy, power, same, same reference, right? Power is like energy, right? Everything... I think I think I think it's energy over energy over time or energy times time. I'm sorry, my, my physics is bad, but you get you guys get the point. Don't focus on the bloops. Just focus on the major this thing, major concepts, right? So the major concept is the way we would get access to power. Eh, 
is that we begin to create economic power. See, politics doesn't have if see politics influences economics. That's that's see politics and economics are five and six. But if there's any in both parties that has more power, it is economic power. That is why somebody like Donald Trump can get into office. Because politics is all about self-interest. It's not about the masses. Oh, don't, 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 get, don't get it mixed up. <laughs> don't get thrown into that, that. It's about power. Everything, as I said on my status, everything except power is about power. So that is the truth. So until young people begin to negotiate power, right, by creating systems that make them included in the conversation, we will remain where we are. We will re- we will remain where we are, right? So that the way we create power is by solving, is by creating solutions eh, that can solve the problem in our immediate environment. Stop solving for don't stop solving problems for Lagos. Leave Lagos. They are intelligent and capable people in Lagos. You are in your university, you are in Futa, you are in Futo, you are in Jos, you are in Abuja, you are in Kaduna, you are in Meduguri. Forget every other place. Look at your environment and look at what problem can I solve that will directly impact the economic and socioeconomic landscape of Africa. That is how we'll get power. Forget politics. Forget that nobody is building um, conducive um, lecture halls for you or that you don't have access to Wi-Fi in your university for, or somebody spends so, so, so billion on your gates and your gates doesn't look like this. <laughs> your gate looks like the same gate or somebody else's house. Forget all those things. Those things will not impact you. Those things will not change your life. What will change your life is that you can mobilize students like yourself to solve problems. Power in the world comes from solving problems. If you solve my problem, I will pay you for it. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not based on race, gender, or anything. If you can solve problems, you, you have power. That is why people pay consultants heavy amount of money. That is why you pay for pure water because it solves your problem of test. If you are claiming proud, no, I don't want to buy pure water from her because she's a woman. I don't want to buy pure water from her because she's black. I don't want to buy pure water from her because I don't like her. You will die of thirst. So power comes from the ability to create value. Value is power. That is how young people will take control of their future. If we do not begin to create value systems, oh, we will remain where we are for a very long time. And that is what the Venture Matrix Leaders Program is about. It's about how do we call, how do we gather ourselves together as leaders across universities to talk with stakeholders and say, stakeholders, how far? This is the opportunity we can see in our school. We need you to give us money. We need you to help us create policies. We need you to help finance projects that will give us access. That is why the leadership, that is why you are in this program. That is why we told you to apply. That is why you applied. We are here because of the collective responsibility of transforming our universities, our university communities, into agents to create power. That is as simple as it gets. If this does not connect with you, as I said, you can always withdraw from the program. I actually think it's frustrating to be hitting people up and begging people to participate or acknowledge messages. We are not down for that. We need people who who recognize that this is an opportunity to actually create value that will give young people power. That is what, see, in fact, this program is about power. Let me just be upfront and up straight about you and, and, and straight with it about you. If you do not think you should be partaking in the conversation about power in today's economy and you just want to be a participant, you just want to be there, 
you know, looking at the government. You just want to be there. You want to be part of people just talking, you know, people just tweeting and not do anything about it. I please enjoin you to leave the program, right? I'm going to round up now. This is four minutes to end of time. I'm sorry that I cannot read up all of, all of this conversation, but this is what I will leave you with in this last minute, right? Young people listening to me right now, if we do not begin to tell our stories, we will remain where we are. We will also sit in the back room just being affected by the decisions of leaders who don't care about our own interests. And that is the truth. Until we rise up, see, this is not a call for, it's not fight. I'm not even saying you should go and talk to your leaders. Forget your leaders. What can you do now is you can be part of this conversation on how we can create value within our undergraduate communities. That is what Virtual Matrix is about. That is what I'm proposing. Thank you very much for listening. So as I said, we will together change the narrative. We will together have to start telling our stories. See, I told everyone to open a digital journal, right? This is how it begins. Begin to share your stories. Use hashtags. But the point is, use consistent hashtags that everybody can follow. So if anything that's, that's, that, that stood out to you, post about it. Don't hold it to yourself. See, this is the same problem that held me back for the last three years. I just felt like my story didn't matter. I felt like, who cares about Batel? What, 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 what is different about me? But that is not true. That is a lie you're telling yourself. That you exist means that you matter. Your stories matter. You don't need to know how to speak English like me. Once you can create a perspective that someone else can believe in, that creates a sense of responsibility, you are a leader and we need you right now. So from today, one thing I, I would really enjoin you to do from this, from today onward is share the articles with your friends. Share on LinkedIn. Use hashtags. Use the hashtags we provided for you. Talk about the Venture Matrix and the Venture Matrix program. Now, I'll round up with this. The reason why I say this is that if we do not start to share our stories, the Venture Matrix is just a platform. It's just a platform for you to express yourself. So beyond that, oh, it's Batel that is doing it. Forget about me. It's not about me. It's about you finding expression through this platform. See, it will be a great joy for me. After this session that somebody else says, I, con I connect to what Batel is saying. I'm going to start my own program and call it maybe the Zeblon, the Zeblon um, Leaders of Tomorrow. And all you want to do is you want to inspire people in your school to share the narrative, to share that change can actually happen in this university, that young people should be given a chance to create economic value and economic power, that the future of Africa is resident in the young people in the universities. Young people are already doing so fine and so well, but we need representation. That is the word. Young people in the university system are not being represented. Jobberman was created in the university. Imagine the university was more conducive for more Jobbermans. That means every year we can have 10 Jobbermans per year. That is, the, that is the success story. That is what will create Africa changing. But if our environment doesn't change, all of these shouts that I've been shouting will not change. So thank you so much for, for joining in on this project. Um, this is going to be converted to a podcast. So thank you so much for listening in. I'm ready to hear your ideas. I'm ready to hear your thoughts. 
this is 5.15, and then this is the end of this session. I hope I've been able to simplify what Series 1 is about, and I hope to see you tomorrow, this same time, on this same platform, discussing Series 2. Thank you very much. All right, then. Wow. That was an exciting session. <laughs> All right. Yes, you can leave in the comment section. Um,